0: Um, I am so glad that you're here today. My name is Mike Glory, and I have the joy of serving as one of the pastors here at Warehouse. Uh, if um, just a little, just a piece of uh, orientation and mapping of our facility, there's a coffee room over there with some great coffee, and there's a gallery in their back. If you have yet to peruse through the gallery, it's gorgeous, it's beautiful. The art that's up, the stories that are being told in that space is, are wonderful. Over there to my left is Kids Warehouse, and they have a, a, a rockin' Uh, ministry going on over there for kids, so we're grateful for that and for our leaders and our teachers over there. And so if your kids need to go that way, you can go that way. I wanted just to take a second, and I want to share with you gratitude, uh, it, it, pride, that I'm sensing and feeling right now towards our staff and towards our elders. Um, it, it's not something that I've done enough of, and, and I hope that this year that we have a chance to do more of, um, but that is simply that I want to just stop, and even as a, an employee here, as a staff member here, and I wanna, just want to stop and thank our staff and our elders for their work. Uh, our leaders are working really, really hard right now around this subject of hospitality and reclaiming hospitality. It would have been easy for us to uh, come up with a word for the year and then have a few events and kind of slap hospitality on it. Uh, But instead, um, our staff, um, our elders, have been uh, sitting in and thinking about this subject, uh, praying about it, conversing about it, talking about it, uh, praying about it more, uh, reading about it, studying it, Uh, Blood, sweat, and tears into this and hearing from God and this idea that our theme for the year, our goal for the year, is that we would reclaim hospitality, that we would be a place of welcome. And I just want to say at the beginning how grateful I am for that. I'm grateful um, and proud of Wes for the way that he's digging into this, the way that he's having these conversations with staff and key leaders and elders and how he is helping to collaborate this conversation to, to get buy-in from everybody. I'm grateful for the way that he is helping to shape this conversation going forward because at the end of the day, the, the true belief of the idea of reclaiming hospitality is that we would really feel and live in the reality of hope. Hope. I need to stop and say thank you to King Jesus for the delivery of our pastor and friend, Andrew Brunson, who's been in prison for the last two and a half years, who's a member of our denomination in our local Presbytery area, that is worthy of our gratitude. And that is a sign that God is a God of hope. And so reclaiming hospitality at the end of the day is about creating space, both physically and emotionally and spiritually. And metaphorically, of hope. And so the things that we do this year aren't just events, not as if they've always just been events, but really the purpose is how do we create space to connect and to belong and to be kind and to share our lives, to create space to know and to be known. And that's what we get to do this year is that we get to think through this filter. What does it mean to love one another deeply? What does it mean to love our neighbors well? What does it mean to love our strangers with dignity? What does it mean to love those that are in the margins? And we get to do that this year. And I'm grateful for that. And we're entering into a new series on the subject of welcome, saying you're welcome. We're going to look through biblical characters uh, and look at the ways that they welcomed. And Wes is going to kick that off today as we talk about Father Abraham. He had many sons. I didn't know if you knew that, right? Some of you are like, what is wrong with him? I'm like, all right, you know you're going to get Sunday school this morning. You will learn it by the end of the day. But we're going to learn about Abraham and his notion of welcome and the invitation to belong. I'm grateful for that. There are a couple things happening in our community in the next few weeks in the name of hospitality. Kids Warehouse is having this incredibly awesome evening of um, what they're calling their Fall Fest, and that is an opportunity for us to gather uh, on on October 27th, which is a Saturday, Uh, and I've been dialoguing with Nicole and Colleen about this incredible event, and they are pouring their heart, soul, mind, and strength into this idea to gather people, and at 2 o'clock, there's going to be a time up in the Blue Room uh, for worship. Uh, If you experienced kids' worship when they led our community uh, several months ago, um, you There is a deep and profound sense of really seeking the Lord, and they're going to do that together. They're going to have a time to learn and pray and sing together, and it's going to be awesome. And then from 3 to 5, there is just going to be a circus outside. Not literally, but there is going to be awesomeness. Bouncy houses and all stuff. Now, remember, guys, it's for children. All right, I know. I see some of you getting kind of excited about the Bouncy. Rob was like, yeah, I signed up right now. I want to go. And that's cool. It's going to be fun. This is a chance for you to invite your neighbors in hospitably. The women are going to gather in a couple weeks or in, in, in a few days uh, for on October 24th and Wednesday in the Blue Room for a night of worship and rhythming uh, and discipline and prayer and song and connection with each other, with the Lord. It is going to be good and hospitable. If this is a, a chance, and what I mean by hospitable, a chance for us to love one another well. And so as we think about the things that are going to go on this year, I want us to think through this frame of hospitality. You are welcome your neighbor is welcome your coworker is welcome your friend is welcome your family is welcome why because we want to know God and we want to be known by each other what an incredible opportunity we have in a couple weeks to do that every week in our worship we lament we stop and we pause and we recognize the ache and the pain and the questions of our existence And it's not just the ache of of, of the world outside these doors, it's the ache inside these doors. Because there is a universal ache in our souls for wanting more and being more and longing for more. And so we pause every week to lament. And this morning the band is going to lead us uh, in a song called Lonely Stranger by Eric Clapton. And my question for you is, is there courage in you this morning to find yourself in this lament This is not done for sheer entertainment purposes. This is for us to break and ache. Would you find yourself in this story this morning? We ache and we long for more. We need more. And in the midst of our ache, the God of the universe shows up and offers us hope. So would you find yourself in the story this morning? Pray with me. Lord, as we continue in our worship, may we sense you, feel you, experience you. May we know you and be known by you. May we have a chance this morning to connect with somebody. May this place be hospitable, and it is hospitable because, Jesus, you're hospitable to us. Let us find ourselves in the midst of the ache, and let us find our hope, our only hope, in the whole world that only comes from you. Amen.
1: to some of these lyrics again of that song Lonely Stranger I must be invisible no one knows me I've crawled down dead end streets on my hands and knees because I'm a lonely stranger here well beyond my day I don't know what's going on so I'll be on my way my guess is that all of us have had a lonely stranger experience at some point And even more likely that we have these ongoing experiences of feeling somewhat like this. I wonder for you if you've ever felt invisible at work. Like people say they care, but it doesn't really go that deep. I wonder if you feel invisible to your spouse or your kids sometimes. Like they're just looking out for themselves. They're not seeking to know you. I wonder if you feel like you don't know what's going on in broader society and that trying to find your place in society right now is like crawling down a dead end street. I wonder if you ever feel like no one really knows you, maybe not even God. As we begin this series on welcome, which we're going to be exploring the whole biblical story through this lens of welcome and looking at particular parts of that story. I really want to try to frame what we're going to be looking at and name and introduce some of the things that you're going to be hearing throughout this series. And the first is exactly this, that it's important, it's critical actually, to acknowledge and to lament our lonely stranger experiences, to be honest about the parts of your life where you feel invisible, where you might feel unknown, where you, where you feel excluded, And I'm saying that because it's a huge part of our inspired prayer book, the Psalms, to be doing this as a part of our growth and health. Look at a a Psalm like Psalm 69, which is a Psalm by David, a Psalm of Lament, and he says, I am worn out calling for help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for God. I am a foreigner to my own family and a stranger to my mother's children. So David is acknowledging and he's lamenting that he feels like a stranger to God and he feels like a stranger to his own family. And he laments that openly before God and before others. And we too, we need to get in a rhythm of acknowledging, owning, and lamenting our lonely stranger experiences if we want to grow, if we want to become healthy and hospitable people. So I want you to close your eyes with me for a second. Close your eyes and I want you to silently complete this sentence just in your own your own mind. I sometimes feel invisible to I sometimes feel like a stranger to And now silently repeat this after me. God, meet me in my desire to be visible, to be known, and to be included. In your mercy, hear my prayer. That's the first movement. You're going to see it in every story that we look at in this series. The second, right in the midst of that, is to remember and to receive God's radical welcome that is in the past, that's in the present, and that's in the future. Almost every lament in the Psalms ends on this note of hope and welcome. Look at how Psalm 69 ends, verse 33. The Lord hears the needy, and he does not despise his captive people. Basically, it's saying contrary to what you feel sometimes about not feeling visible or feeling known or feeling included, the Lord God sees you and hears you and includes you into his story and into his life. You are not invisible to God, and he has promised to make room for you in his unfolding story and in his kingdom. I love how Paul puts it in in his letter to the church in Ephesus. He's reminding us of what is true for those who trust in Jesus, who are finding their hope in him. He says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. That's a remarkable truth. No matter what we feel, no matter what experience we've had, no no matter what kind of an outsider we think that we are, through Christ, we are able to be welcomed by God. And this is what motivates us to embrace the beautiful risk of hospitality. In other words, Mike's already mentioned our theme for the year, reclaiming hospitality. If this is something we really want to do together as a church, we're going to have to admit what it feels like to be a stranger. And get into a rhythm of lamenting that together, while at the same time remembering and receiving the radical welcome of God in Christ in the midst of it. You, you see this connection in a text like Leviticus 19. The author says, You shall treat the stranger or sojourner with you as a native among you. You shall love him as yourself. It's radical hospitality. Why? For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I am the one who liberated you, promised to welcome you, to give you something beautiful. That's the rhythm. The most hospitable people in the world are the people who are most aware of their own history and experience of strangeness, of outsiderness, while at the same time being amazed by the overwhelming grace of God that includes them into his story and into his life, into the family of God. These are the people who are going to be motivated to embrace the beautiful risk of hospitality. And by hospitality, I want to be clear as well. We mean any act of welcome, not just how it's traditionally understood as welcoming someone into your home uh, for a meal or whatever. I mean, that's certainly part of it. But any act of welcome, even something like a dignifying conversation, this is the rhythm we want to find. We're going to see this pattern over and over again, but the story that I want to focus on this morning is the story of Abraham and Sarah. It starts in Genesis 12. I'm going to tell you a little bit of the backstory. story. One of the first major stories in the Bible, first book of the Bible in Genesis. And in Genesis 12, the story begins with God calling Abram, which was his name at the time, out of the place that he knew into a strange place. So right away, you see God... Calling Abraham and Sarah to leave what's known and familiar and to suddenly be lonely strangers in a strange land. At the same time, God promises them I'm going to make your family great, I'm going to welcome you into a land that's beyond what you can imagine, and you're going to be blessed in order to be a blessing. So while Abram and Sarah and his family are having this lonely stranger experience, they're also sitting within this this grandiose promise of God's welcome. And they're feeling that tension, right? Time passes. They, They settle in the land of Canaan. They do a stint in Egypt during a bad famine. They battle neighboring tribes. And at this point, Abraham and Sarah still do not have a son. And a son is what will mean that God's plan is actually true for them. So God reminds them of his promise, but more years go by. Sarah, in particular, is struggling because she's beyond childbearing years now. And and so she suggests that in order to make God's plan happen, Abraham should have a child with one of their household servants named Hagar, and he does. But then God visits Abraham again, and he says... Nice try. That's not how it's going to happen. It's my official paraphrase. No, you're going to have your own son, and you're going to name him Isaac, which means he laughs because you laughed in my face when I gave you this promise and reminded you of my welcome to you. So all of that brings us up to Genesis 18. And this is now more than 20 years from the beginning of the story. When they set off on this lonely stranger experience. And God's promise to to make good on on his beautiful promise to them. So this is Genesis 18. Why don't you stand with me as I read this to get our blood moving. to, To pay respect to God's word here. Genesis 18 starting in verse 1. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre. While he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. A little side note here. Abraham doesn't know that, this is, that the Lord is one of these strangers in the moment. Uh, this is just the narrator's prologue, so we know it's coming. So Abraham looked up, saw three men standing nearby, and when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then may... May you all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me give you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sails of the finest flour and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and he selected a choice tender calf and gave it to the servant who hurried to prepare it. And then he brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and he set those before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. This is God's word to us this morning. Can have a seat? Okay, there's a lot of beautiful things in this text. I want to highlight a few key things. The first being the risk of hospitality here. And the second big thing being the rhythm of hospitality that we see. I think we need to recognize at the outset that uh, hospitality in any form but especially if we're talking about showing welcome to strangers and others that we don't know, is inherently risky. There is a built-in risk to hospitality. And because there's risk, it's fear that most often keeps us from showing hospitality to people in this way. Think about what Abraham was risking here if he was going to show hospitality to the strangers, who's certainly risking his safety. Uh, Not just because Abraham didn't know who these guys were, but because Abraham had some serious enemies. He had fought some battles. He had been to Egypt and swindled some people. Uh, Abraham had some enemies. So how did he know that these men wouldn't choose to rob him or hurt his family? How did he know that everything was going to be okay if he invited these strangers in? He didn't know that, right? This was a risk for Abraham to decide in that moment, I'm going to embrace the risk of stranger danger here, and I'm going to invite these people in. It's totally worth it in the end. But Abraham was also risking his comfort. Guys, he was in the middle of his afternoon siesta. He was chilling at the entrance to his tent, enjoying that very important cultural moment in each person's day where you stop your work and you rest. But he, he looked up and he saw strangers. And even in the act of acknowledging their presence, he was entertaining this possibility that his afternoon was about to become a lot more uncomfortable. He's going to have to do something. He was going to have to end his siesta and care for these guys. So he's risking his comfort and also risking his resources. Right? Showing hospitality here would drain his time. It's going to drain his food. It's going to drain his money. And he had to decide, this is worth it. I'm going to go prepare my best calf. For these strangers, so that they will really feel welcome. And then finally, he's risking his perspective. This is maybe a little less obvious because we didn't read on in the passage, but uh, strangers and outsiders have a way of challenging our way of thinking. If we don't know them, it's off maybe because they're not like us, and they probably think different than we do. And so the challenge in this instance is going to come later when one of these strangers that Abraham would discover is. Was the Lord Himself, asks, Why did you and your wife laugh when I said you will have a son? Why did you not think God was big enough? Why did you not believe? What's going on with your perspective? And it's challenged in that moment. I mean, it's no wonder why hospitality, true hospitality, is so difficult, right? Who wants to risk their safety and comfort and resources and perspective not to show hospitality to a friend, but to show hospitality to a stranger? It's, this is not an easy thing, and it's not something that we jump to do, myself included. Uh, a couple months ago, I was pulling in. It was late. It was rainy. I was pulling into our driveway. We live on Roswell's Ferry. It's pretty busy thoroughfare, and there was a guy just walking down the sidewalk in the rain, and as I got out of my car, he said, hey man, hey, can I have a second? And I'll admit it, what went through my head is, la, 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 it was late, I was tired, I didn't want to be inconvenienced by conversation with a neighbor in the rain. But something moved me to to embrace whatever risk would be here, and I invited him onto our porch and just started asking questions. Gave him a cup of water, and we sat down and asked him questions about his situation. I learned that he he lost his job, um, and he got evicted, and that eviction led to marriage problems, uh, so he was just on his own. He was homeless. He didn't know where to go. He didn't really have anything, and a- after sitting and talking some more, I decided, you know, I really think it's fitting here. I don't know if... Everything he's telling me is true. There's risk in that, too. But I said, you know, let's, let's go to Dollar General and let's get you some dry clothes, some basic toiletries, and some food for the evening and, and find out where you're going to spend the night. And, and we did that. We had a great conversation. I uh, decided that it would be best to, to find him a shelter for that night. And on our way over to the bus stop, he, he started getting really emotional. And he turned to me and he said, man, you have no idea what this has meant to me. Like, I I really am in a place of no hope, and I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I do know after tonight that God is going to help me find the next step, and that's the simple trust and hope that I needed, and we parted, and, and we went our separate ways, and I'm not telling you that story so you're like, oh, wow, look at Wes, the pastor did, you know, that's, that is not it at all. Look, I was, not, I was thinking about not doing this. I often don't decide to embrace the risk in a situation like this. But I did. I'm grateful that I did. And in that interaction, I think we would both say, I don't know where he is today, but I think we would both say that we encountered something of God in that interaction. I encountered something of God through him. He encountered something of God through me. And this mysteriously is what happens When you show hospitality, we see that pattern all throughout Scripture. That sometimes when we encounter strangers, we're encountering angels. We're encountering Jesus himself. We don't know exactly how this works out. But there is a beautiful, mysterious, sacramental encounter that happens in the midst of hospitality that leaves us both enriched. I've been wrestling with this for quite a while. What does this mean for us? What does this mean for me personally? And, and one of the resources that's really helped me think through some of this, it's our featured resource in the back. It's called Making Room. Uh, it's by Christine Pohl, and, and the subtitle is Recovering Hospitality as a Christian Tradition. She shows the, the movement through scriptures and then through church history and up to the present of how, what does this really look like? What are the rhythms and patterns? But about hospitality, hospitality and risk, she says practicing hospitality always involves risk and the possibility of failure, but there is greater risk and loss in neglecting hospitality. Dorothy Day, reflecting on years of work at the Catholic Worker Houses of Hospitality, commented that mistakes there were, there are, and there will be. But the biggest mistake sometimes is to play things safe in this life and end up being moral failures. It's not a scare tactic, I think, to own that phrase. I think it's a wake-up call. I don't, as a pastor, want to be a moral failure. I hope you don't as a part of this church. So we're going to really weigh into this this year. (laughs) What does this really look like for us as a church and individually? There's a lot at stake And so to get us moving in this direction very practically, I think it's helpful in this text to see the rhythm of hospitality. It's unique to this story, but I think there's a pattern that emerges that can be helpful for us. The basic actions that make up this habit of hospitality, whether you're showing hospitality in your home or at work or at school or uh, here on Sunday, whatever it is. I think that this rhythm might apply. So the first action we see, and we're just going to work through the text here, is this, uh, this action of seeing. The text says, Abraham looked up and he saw three men standing nearby. The gist of the word see in the Hebrew is not just a physical act of seeing, but it means really apprehend. Really get who this is and have a built-in desire to respond to what you see. Um, and we know this. A good example of this is just a couple of chapters earlier when God visited Hagar and gave her the news that she would have a son. Hagar responds and she says, God, you are the one who sees me. You see me in that you care for me, you know me, and you want to respond to me in a fitting way on my behalf. I think it's good to ask, how easy it is, is it for you, for us, to, to see a stranger, let's say, in this gathering? And to think, oh, someone else will talk to him. Someone else probably has a connection with them. Or, or, or to see someone and not really choose to see them because you fear embracing that risk of hospitality. It's, it's there all the time. And that's why the second action in this rhythm is to greet. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them, and he bowed low to the ground. So not only did Abraham greet these strangers just as a normal greeting, he ran to them, which is a really undignified thing for a man in this culture to do. So he's putting himself out there, and he bows down to them, which was a part of the culture, but it was a sign of deep respect and deep honor. But, you know, don't try greeting someone like that today. That's not, this is a cultural thing then. That if you want to show someone deep honor, you would bow to them. It should make us ask, what does it mean to greet someone in the most honoring respectful way possible in our culture how can you sense that in the moment based on how god's made you and how he's made them what is the fittiness there that's what we should going what we should be going for and then in that honoring greeting the third action is to invite abraham says if i've found favor in your eyes my lord don't pass your servant by in other words come on in and sit for a while be with me you're important i want to know you um Little side note, some commentators uh, have shown that that phrase, my Lord, like Abraham gets this is is God himself. I don't think that's the case yet. I don't think he still gets that this is an appearance of God. Uh, Lord was a title of respect in that culture. And the reason why that's important is he's not doing this because this is God before him. He's doing this because he's moved to show hospitality to strangers. Um, And it's a beautiful act. And this act of inviting, I want you to think about something more broad than just, hey, have a meal with me. Um, you know, think about the other instances of hospitality, like bringing someone into a dignifying conversation. I think that the invitation is about something specific that will lead you to a deeper connection with someone. So in a conversation, it could just look like a more specific question than, hey, how are you? Good and then the moment's over. could be, hey, I don't think we've met. Uh, what brought you here to, here today? You know, tell me a little bit more about your story. Uh, and, and then a conversation continues. Uh, but you don't want to dive too deep too fast, right, just to make this as hospitable as possible. You wouldn't want to say, um, I don't see one of these jerseys here today, so I think I'm in the clear. You don't want to say, hey, man, that's a really cool jersey, but how do, you, how do you handle kind of cheering for a team with the name Redskins? You know, you probably don't want to dive that deep that fast because uh, that could be offensive for somebody. Uh, or, you know, there, there might be a time to have that conversation. It's not in the initial meeting, right? This action of inviting is about seeking a deeper connection of some kind that leads to your opportunity to offer something. So after the invitation, there's an offer Here's Abraham's, let a little water be brought. All of you may wash your feet and rest under the tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way. That's a natural thing to do if you're showing hospitality in your home. You offer a drink or a meal or even a place to stay the night. Uh, But at other times, like if you're showing hospitality through a conversation, you might offer to connect someone to someone else who has a similar interest. So if I meet someone who really likes disc golf, I might be like, hey, have you talked to Adrian? Where's Adrian? Is Adrian in the room? You might talk to Adrian. He knows every disc golf course from here to Mexico. Talk to this guy. He'll show, maybe beyond, maybe Argentina. I don't know. This guy loves disc golf. And so the, the offer here is to say, I don't, I'm not great at disc golf, but this guy is. Why don't you guys connect? Why don't you have a connection? See what happens. Um. So, of course, someone. What's hard here, and what's part of the risk, is someone could reject your offer. Uh, that's hard when you're trying to show hospitality. Someone could say, uh, "No thanks," or "Thanks, but no." You know. Um, most often, though, if if everything is genuine up to this point—the scene, and the greeting, and the inviting, and the offering—the response is, "That'd be great, thanks." But then there needs to be follow through. You can't just make the offer, you have to actually provide what you're offering, right? It seems very simple, but it would be pretty awkward if I offered you a drink and then just never brought one. Or if I was like, hey, I'd love to connect you to Adrian, and then I'd go off over here and you guys never actually meet about disc golf. It's it's about the follow-through on your offer. Like Abraham, he brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared, and he set these before them. So the scene and the greeting, the inviting and the offering – have led to this moment of concrete provision for someone's needs. And then later on in the story, the last action in the rhythm is to send. Abraham is with them for a while. He provides, and when the men got up to leave, they looked down towards Sodom, and Abraham walked along with them to see them on their way. So simple, yet really profound. Uh, the, The handshake, or the hug, or the... Or, or our equivalent of walking with someone for the extra mile so they really know that you're for them, that you, you are thinking about their ongoing welfare, um, and then hopefully you'll meet again. So whatever the case, this, this sending, this closing of the rhythm, it solidifies your genuine interest in the guest, and we should unleash our imaginations for what that might look like in all of these different scenarios. Let's back up for a second. I think hopefully this provides us a grid to start thinking really practically about relationships and connections and ways that we might show hospitality. But I don't want us to forget today the why behind all of this. You know, what made Abraham ready to show this kind of hospitality to complete strangers? What does it take for us to be the kind of people who will be hospitable? And it's what we started with at the beginning Just think about Abraham's story. He knew what it felt like to be a stranger. This was a long journey for him. And there was something deep within him that enabled him to connect with the feeling of someone who's on the outside. And we should do the same. We should learn to lament those uh, experiences, to claim them, to acknowledge them. And then to let that lead us to the truth of God's radical welcome. After we acknowledge those experiences, even in the midst of that, we can say, and yet, look at how God has welcomed me. Look at his promises. And we too, just like Abraham, are recipients of that promise. We have received this through the person of Jesus by his spirit. and, And this welcome that we have through Christ is more radical than we can ever imagine. So we remember that and we receive it. And it's these things that enables us, that motivates us, that moves us, to be hospitable people and to embrace the beautiful risk of that, to live out the rhythms by which we can extend welcome to our neighbors, strangers, to anyone who walks through our door or into this church or at work or at school. So I want to end just by asking God to empower us in this process because it's really only by the Spirit's power that we can do these things and it's only by His presence that we can acknowledge the dignity of a stranger. So let's ask God those things now. Lord, we've already shared with you this morning how we can feel invisible, we can feel unknown and excluded. And I know that you get this because you have felt this yourself in your own body when you lived among us in the person of Jesus. You get what we feel. And yet it's so good for us to lament that before you to own these experiences, and to ask for you to meet us in them by your Spirit. So we do that, and we, we admit we need to sense your presence in the midst of these experiences. And we also want to claim your promises within them. So remind us during these times, and all the time, the radical welcome that you have offered, that you are offering that you will continue to offer to us because of the work of Jesus. And and we celebrate this morning that we are not invisible to you. We are known to you, and you know our struggles, you know our stories, and we have a place in your family and your, your eternal kingdom. Help us never to forget and to receive over and over again this gift that you've offered. And as we do so, empower us to embrace this pattern that we see in your inspired word of, of, of risking hospitality in a way that will maybe put our safety on the line, maybe put our comfort on the line, and our resources and, and our perspectives. But God, you are leading us to embrace it because it's worth it, because we're designed to be a conduit of your welcome and your love. So, work in our hearts and our minds. Um, so that we really see and greet and invite and all of these other actions involved in practically showing hospitality. And, and may we see how in that process you're going to enhance our life and you're going to enhance the life of our neighbor. Um, and may we be attentive in that moment that any stranger that we meet could be more than a stranger. That this can ultimately be an encounter with you, an encounter that leads us into deeper life and to deeper trust and deeper hope. Thank you for becoming a stranger so that we could be your friends. We could be included. We could be known. We pray all this in Jesus' name. It's been so good to be with you guys this morning. What a gift and a joy you can remain standing. I uh, hope that today something has sunk in about God's welcome. That no matter what you currently feel, your experience of strangeness, or how you're failing to show welcome to others, I hope that you know, leaving this place, that God loves you, that God has welcomed you, and he will never let you go. Mike talked about a few opportunities to show hospitality and orientation. There's a lot more going on. Go to our Skinny on the website or a community calendar to find out more. Um, And if you'd like to remain in the space and pray, we do have a prayer room around that corner with a mural on it. Uh, If you have kids that like to use our ramp and stage as a highway, I might suggest to try to guide them elsewhere because we really try to keep that prayer room as hospitable as we can on Sunday morning. And please make use of it if God's leading you to do that. So may you go from this place knowing that you are honest to lament everything you feel to God. He knows you. He wants that relationship. And may you know in the midst of that that he has welcomed you, that you are a part of his family, that you are his child. And may all of that motivate you to be a conduit of his welcome to others, anyone that you encounter. May you welcome them in the name of Christ. Go in grace. Thanks for listening to the Warehouse 242 podcast. If you have any questions or want to find out more about Warehouse, visit warehouse242.org. Come join us on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m. at 2307 Wilkinson Boulevard in Charlotte. Thanks for listening.